0: Welcome Blue Jay fans to another episode of Blue Jays Bites podcast. I'm Brian Tott from whiteandbluereview.com. Joining me tonight is Matt DeMoranis, and we are here to bring you another episode of interviews, analysis, and just general uh, chewing the talk about Creighton sports. Um, Appreciate you guys joining us again tonight. This is episode number eight. And we have, uh, we have two really outstanding interviews for you tonight. One is um, a, uh, an extreme feature with Creighton Athletic Director Bruce Rasmussen. Um, don't want to jump too far ahead to that, but we've got a good nearly 30-minute interview that Matt was able to secure with Bruce on Creighton's campus last week. So we've got that. Look forward to Matt. Uh, I just want to welcome you to the show. Thanks for coming back. And I know you've had a really busy week on campus and off watching uh, a lot of different blue jays teams in action. It was a pretty good week for the blue jays, yeah.
1: Yeah, I think they uh you know, kept the zero in the loss column in all three sports, so can't really complain about that, can we?
0: Nope. Women's soccer posts two victories. The men's soccer team posts a victory in their only match of the week and the volleyball team continues to dominate winning 3 to 1 in uh, Philadelphia and Three to nothing in D.C. So we're going to talk about uh, just a you know a quick recap of how everything went this week. Um, we'll talk to Bruce Rasmussen, and at the end of the show we have a really good interview with uh, current San Francisco Giant Ty Block, former Creighton Blue Jay, left-handed pitcher standout for Ed Services Blue Jays, and uh, he's currently pitching for the San Francisco Giants in. Um, what is his first taste of uh, of, uh, major league baseball after uh, a couple years of um, improving performance in the minor leagues. So flat on tap for you guys tonight. But uh, as always, we want to take a look and talk to uh, Matt about what he's seen in the matches and games he's covered this week. Like we mentioned, it was a successful week for Blue Jays sports. Matt um, would really love just some of your key takeaways from all three of the teams that you saw this week, uh, starting with women's soccer.
1: Well, the women's soccer team um, was uh, it entered a pretty important weekend because you know they only have four home matches left, and uh, one of them is against the one of the best teams in the entire country in Georgetown. So um, you know they continue to kind of make steps to qualify for the Big East tournament, which is a little different than. Um, I guess if you look at volleyball and baseball, four teams qualify for it, but soccer is a little different. They qualify six, but in the first uh, first three years of the Big East, Creighton hasn't qualified for it. So that's kind of been you know the goal that they're really trying to reach at the end of the season. And uh, they got off on the right foot by beating Marquette, which is a huge win um, for the program. They hadn't beaten Marquette, and not only that, but they've been getting smashed by Marquette every time they play them. So they've always been starting their Big East Conference slate in a hole because that's Marquette's their first match every season. So um, they got that monkey off their back, but then went out to Chicago, lost to DePaul, who looks like the class of, I guess, the league so far, other than Georgetown. Um, Those two have seemed to separate themselves a little bit. Um, So you kind of were expecting them to take an L there. Um, It wasn't a match they were certainly favored to win, I think, if they had gotten one point out of that uh they would be feeling really good about their position. But they ended up taking a loss, so they ended up with zero points and they go out to Villanova, who was not good. And they end up taking a loss there too. So that kind of put them behind what you were projecting them for. Sure. I guess if you were to think that if you were to think that Marquette is, you know, in that one to three range where you're expecting a result because it's at home, they got three. DePaul was one where you were in that zero to one range as far as points go, and you got zero. So you come back and you're looking at Villanova, who's a team that you should, who's a team you should beat if you're going to be in the Big East tournament. That's just the bottom line. Sure. You can't lose. You can't lose to a team that that is three and eight overall if you want to be in the Big East tournament. That's just that's just the facts of the matter. And they end up dropping. You know, they kind of it's. It's a lay and egg type of performance, so that's just the facts. And they came back, you know, they kind of had the all week to kind of pick themselves off the mat and get ready for Seton Hall, who's another team that's kind of at the bottom there. Mm -hmm. Um, And they blitzed them, beat them four to nothing um, on Thursday, right?
0: Yeah.
1: I'm trying to think. I got my days mixed up. They beat them on Thursday, and then. Uh, they get Saint John's on Sunday. So I guess going into the week you were thinking that's a four to six point weekend. You know, you want three from Seton Hall finally. You don't want a tie out of that. Mm. And then you want one to three from Saint John's. So you want to either draw or win. Which was not asking a a lot a whole lot, even though Saint John's is usually one of the top teams in the league. They they actually did draw with them out in the Queens in their first year in the Big East, so it was one of those things where you're like, well, that's possible. Sure. Um, but they actually ended up beating them uh, today to do nothing. Um, on goal, Kyra Hauser scored the first goal, and Lauren Sullivan scored the second to put the match away in the second half. Um, both against Diana Poulin, who, um, for the women's soccer aficionados out there, they know that she's one of the best goalkeepers in the the Big East Conference, and probably one of the best in the country, really, mm. but um, Creighton was able to get banged to home against her, and keep a clean sheet, and they're actually the first two clean sheets of the season, so um, freshman goalkeeper Mackenzie Miola is starting to get on a little bit of a roll here, uh, against Seton Hall, she wasn't really challenged very much, so that was more of a clean sheet for the team, Um but Saint John's match, she had to make quite a few pretty solid saves to keep that thing, keep that zero on the board. So she earned it there. Um, so yeah, she I think she's sitting at a shutout streak of just over two hundred minutes now. So looking pretty good there. And then obviously the big, you know, the big storyline from the women's soccer weekend is Lauren Sullivan just continues to be on an absolute tear. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we kind of addressed that on last week's episode,
0: and I was going to say it's the gift of the podcast, right? The gift that keeps. Us yeah, going. I
1: mean, right. So, Doug <laughs> should be the NBA MVP now, right? right? What... <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, but she kept on. Yeah, she scored. She scored a goal against Seton Hall. She actually had an unbelievable night against Seton Hall. She her first. She got an assist on the first goal, which ends up being the game winner. But it was one of those plays where. Um, I don't know what Seton Hall was doing, who they thought she was or something like that, but they kind of just let her roam free on the wing. And uh, she ended up chipping the keeper with kind of a slower shot, but it was on its way across the end line. And Seton, Hall, Seton Hall's center back, I can't remember her name, but her, her their, uh, I think their left side center back um, or right side center back made a heck of an effort to just get to the ball right at the end line and kind of stop it with her foot from going over for a goal for Sully. And she trips over the ball and falls into the net because um, the momentum carried her over. So she falls on her face. And then uh, freshman forward Kylan Grubb was there at the right time for Creighton. She actually fell into the net with with the center back and then got back up and then rounded the ball and kicked it in. So it was one of those. It was quite a bizarre goal. But um, needless to say, Sullivan got a, an assist on that play um when she should have probably had a goal hmm. and then she scored the second goal and then assisted on another one so she actually had a 4 point night wow um and then yeah and then against St. John's she scored the second goal to keep her goal streak alive which is now at 8 straight games Going back all the way to when she missed the penalty kick against Kansas State, so she's kind of been on <laughs> a little, a little, re- little revenge streak.
0: We got to bring that up, man. Um, Come on, that's tough.
1: I have to keep to, if it's the motivating factor. I Sure, need to keep bringing it up as possible. So, but you yeah, said so that's the longest
0: streak, men's or women's soccer Creighton history. Yeah,
1: correct. Yeah, no, no Creighton player ever on the men's or women's side has had a streak that long. So. She's etched into the history books um, awesome. after today, awesome. and uh, she's just—I mean, she hasn't ever been first team. Ever she hasn't ever been first team all Big East. I thought last year she should have been, um, but you know they—they kind of only have—they only have, I think, four forwards on the on the list. So, you know, once you knock off Rachel Daly and Rachel Corbo's from Georgetown and. St. John's, then you're left with pretty much two. And she just kind of missed the cut on that last year. But this year, I don't even think there's a question. I don't even, She honestly could not do anything the rest of the year. Sure. And she should be on that list. Cool. Because she's already, I mean, we have, I think she has, you know, four matches left in the regular season this year. And she already has more goals and assists than she had last year. Hmm. So just to give you an idea what kind of tear she's on. So, I mean, it's it's been 37 days and counting since she last played a match without scoring a goal. It's pretty ridiculous.
0: And you started this segment breaking down kind of your forecast or maybe general public perception of what it would take for Ross Pauly's team to make the Big East tournament. What's your gut tell you right now? Are they going to make this thing? Are they going to be one of the six?
1: Yeah, I think they will be. I think they're in a good spot, and they have... um. You know, they're on the road at Providence. They only have a one-game week this week. It's just uh, at Providence on Saturday. Okay, well, I think that's a one-to-three type of range for them. Okay, um, you know I, I, I. But they could lose it. I guess I should say zero to one or zero to three. They could win that one. <laughs> Providence. Providence <laughs> is pretty good this year, so you don't you don't expect a road win. So you want to hope for a draw. So get a point out of that. You'll be in good position. Georgetown in the home finale is going to be a tough, a tough, a tough one. Sure, um, you know they're one of the best teams in the country. They've proven it. They've beaten some really elite teams, um, so it's not just like they're taking advantage of the metrics and working their way into a top RPI and and then picking off bad teams to they get. They pass to the state. eye
0: test, is what you're telling me. The proverbial eye. Yeah, test. yeah, yeah.
1: The eye test, the metrics. They pass all the tests for sure. They're cool. they're they're loaded. And they're very good. So that's going to be a tough one. So then you look at the Xavier and Butler match. The Xavier and Butler matches are the ones in between, sandwiched in between the Providence and Georgetown match. Uh, Butler's on the road. Xavier's at home on senior day, which is actually before the Georgetown match. So you know how that goes. Yeah. Um, but Xavier is the worst team in the conference currently, sitting at 0-5 with zero points. So you've got to figure that's a team that you should, you know. That's a 1-3 to three, is what deep. you're telling me,
0: right? That's a 1-3. to three.
1: No, I'm gonna go. That's a solid three. You <laughs> okay. don't want one. <laughs> that's not even a one to three. That's okay. a three. Uh, you you need three points out of the Xavier match, and then Butler on the road is you know a winnable one. It's one they've you know it's it's one they drew they drew when they played them last year, but they or two years ago on the road, and then um, I think they lost to him last year, but Butler ended up winning the entire win ended up winning the conference tournament on okay. Creighton's field last year, so. You know, you don't take them for granted, but I think I don't think they're as good as they were last year. So I think there are potentially seven points left on Creighton's schedule, which puts them um, I guess sixty seven points left on Creighton's schedule, which puts them in that um, they're currently at nine, so that puts them in that fifteen to sixteen range. And last year the 6th place team was at fifteen. So okay. I think they have you know, I think the schedule will work out to the point where they should make the tournament, but cool. it's not going to be easy. They can't be dropped. They can't drop like the Xavier match. That's going to be ridiculous if they do that. So. Sure. And that's probably a lot more time than we wanted to spend on women's soccer. Uh, I guess so. You know, moving on to men's soccer now. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: not for the women's soccer fans that tune into our podcast. I know we've had quite a few show up and, and certainly listen to our uh, our interview with Lauren and and we are. Obviously, one of the, uh, I'd say handful, but that's like maybe twice as as much as like the hand being twice as large as maybe is actually the case of, of media entities that cover women's soccer at creating with any sort of due diligence. So um, I know that it's really appreciated and, and it's an up and coming program as uh, people will listen to the interview that you do with Bruce here coming up. He, he flat out says that Creighton's going to be relevant nationally in women's soccer sooner than later, and he credits a lot mm-hmm. of that to Ross and what he's done in a short time on campus. Obviously, the facilities are there as well, and that's something you've alluded to and Ross has alluded to in a lot of the quote-unquote mainstream media coverage, I think, that the program's received. But, I mean, you listen to Bruce talk about it, and it's – a no brainer to him that that's going to happen. And Mm -hmm. with Bruce's track record, which he alludes to, or I guess the questions allude to during that interview. I mean, you'd be hard pressed to question him based on the role that Rass is on, on campus here, uh, for the, uh, for the last few years, for sure. So that's exciting. And we'll be there as that continues to grow as they, uh, make this big East tournament, hopefully, and continue to do good things in the future. But, um, you're right. I mean, there's another men, there's another soccer team on campus, one that uh, routinely is in the national discussion year in and year out, and this year is no different, or no different. Um, a one match week for Elmar Bolovich's Blue Jays, but they passed that test. A one nothing win over a top ten Butler squad on Friday night at Morrison Stadium. I know you were there for a bit of that. Uh, Riggs Lennon scored fairly early in that match. Uh, things got chippy though you said kind of later on as uh, a frantic finish ensued tell us a little bit about that for fans that weren't able to watch that match
1: yeah that was a, a pretty premier match on campus I think Creighton came in ranked 10th and Butler was ninth um, in the coaches poll and uh, Butler was even sixth in the RPI so they were even higher in the you know in that regard so it was a big match and it played out that way uh, you know, Butler had a a dangerous attack, Um, one of their two forwards, David Goldsmith, leads the team with 10 goals, and a freshman named Louis Suttick came in with 7, I believe, and so you know, when you get, when Creighton gets to face one of the top, um, you know, who they put the top strikers on each team, you know, that's usually a mission for Lucas Stauffer, so he got to line up against Lewis Sutak all night, and you know, kind of held him in check. Didn't really let him get many shots off. Uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Sutak's only shot on goal was actually from a free kick just outside the box. So that's not really something Luke Lucas can do something about. Um, but for the you know for the other ninety minutes, he held him in check. But uh, you know, Creighton's early. They got one early in the 14th minute, I think, 13 and a half minutes into the match. Um, they scored on a. Joel Rystrand found Riggs Lennon on a corner kick uh, for a header for the first goal, which was, you know, I think I think every goal that Creighton scores this year on a set piece or a corner kick is just, you know, I've heard from fans and things like that that this is a welcome sight because, you know, Creighton hasn't been very good in the air the last couple years. You know, that's usually, that, that was kind of the difference in the Georgetown match was, you know, uh, Georgetown set pieces and corner kicks, they were just a lot more dominant in the box. And Creighton was kind of, every time, if Creighton could work a center, it could work to get a corner kick, which they were really good at, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, Georgetown just had really big bodies to kind of make sure none of those chances were very dangerous. Um, so to see, to see you know, some connection there, and for Creighton to start improving in the corner kick area with Ride Strand kind of finding his stride. Ride Strand finding his stride. I like that. Uh, I got it. That worked. I got it. Um, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a welcome sight for sure. And that's how they got their goal. And then they kind of just, I mean, in the second half, they were really under fire the whole time. You know, uh, they had moments of good possession, but they kind of settled into a point where Butler was just on the attack and really pressing, and Creighton just couldn't do anything but clear the ball away and then reset. Um, they weren't really getting money counters. Um, they weren't getting players forward. When they were countering, it was usually two or maybe three guys running against five. So, you know, they would just end up playing a long ball and then, you know, giving it right back to Butler. And the last ten minutes was just insane. I mean, usually in the last, you know, a couple matches, maybe this last four or five match stretch, Alex Kapp, uh has really had to, Lucas like Gustafsson said, stand on his head for the team. Is how he put it. Um, it's really had to make some incredible saves to keep balls out of the back of the net because there's been some, some kind of breakdowns in the back line with that young with that young group trying to figure out how to find some rhythm. But um, against Butler, they were pretty they they stayed pretty tight, um, and kept most of the things you know. Although they were under attack most of the second half, they kept they kept Cap out of danger for the most part, which was good to see because that's another area they needed to improve in. Um, cause you just can't expect your keeper to make, you know, seven to 10 saves a night. You know, you're probably, you know, there's only so much you can do back there. If you're, if you're putting them in one V one situations, that's not a very high percentage chance for a save. Um, and then, yeah, Butler ended up getting a last second shot actually. So the celebration literally started at zero because Butler's last shot went, uh, wide left of the post. Um, at 0, zero. so huh. it was one where you could breathe a sigh of relief, and then Cap jumped into Peter Prescott's arms as center back and let out a big celebration that uh, Creighton got a pretty solid quality
0: win and a clean sheet. Yeah, clean sheet and a win over a top-10 team. Puts the Blue Jays in uh, position again to obviously keep their stranglehold on um, – high you know national ranking not that it matters a ton right now obviously you're focused on the conference task at hand and putting yourself in a position to win the league advance to another ncaa tournament um all of those uh goals in place still with a big win like that obviously you want to defend your home field um before you go to tulsa for a non-conference match this week so We'll get to that in the what's on tap. But big win for Mm -hmm. the Blue Jays men's soccer team and was the precursor, I guess, to, well, I guess that match was going on right as the Blue Jays volleyball program was out in Philadelphia taking on Villanova. Um, So both those squads in action Friday night and uh, the Blue Jays performed well out in Philly. Against the top fifty foe, RPI wise, Blue Jays um, leave Villanova with a three sets to one win, um, and then headed to DC and just continued their Big East mastery with a three zero sweep over the Hoyas. Man, I know you were able to catch a little bit that this weekend. Maybe just recap for Jays fans what the uh, what the Blue Jays juggernaut volleyball program looks like here now um these last couple weeks
1: yeah i actually did not see a single second of that because uh, during the Villa Nova match i was watching Creighton butler yeah, live sure. so i didn't see that and then georgetown wanted me to pay for a feed and i wasn't going to do that so no. wow. um sorry georgetown you gotta make that stuff free <laughs> um and don't and stop using game tracker for the love of god please i don't know if I don't know if you've ever followed volleyball on game tracker, but it's literally the worst.
0: <laughs> I mean,
1: can... I could, I could, I'm not a computer graphics guy or, you know, a computer programmer, but I could come up with a better stat format for volleyball than game tracker.
0: So, so. you're telling me we should not go ask game tracker to be one of the first sponsors of the Blue Jays Bites podcast? You think, yeah, that won't absolutely. Work
1: out? Okay. Absolutely not. I will, I will
0: protest. I'm still waiting. Um, I, I'm still waiting for my mama's pizza phone call, but. That has not happened yet, so I went down there today and patronized their establishment, so hopefully I should have talked to someone, but anywho, back to volleyball. So you didn't watch anything, but you know what I know. Eight of their last nine matches they've won. The only one they lost was a very even match to one of the top teams in the country in Nebraska down in Lincoln. This thing is just moving in the right direction after – a non-conference slate that prepared Kirsten Berthal Booth's team for the rigors of Big East play, I suppose. Um, how is everything looking right now for them as they head into the second half of their conference schedule? Yeah, I think
1: they're feeling pretty good. And I did actually talk to Kirsten after each match. So, um, you know, I do um, – I kind of got, you know, her take on what the differences were and such – you know, I think the Villanova match, obviously they dropped the first set um, – you know, it didn't really hit well. I think they hit below 100, actually. So, you know, I think Villanova's defense was pretty good, pretty solid in the first set, and then Creighton kind of got rolling a little bit. Um, Lauren Smith actually went over 1,000 kills for her career in that match, and which is pretty impressive for a middle blocker, even though Creighton's had a couple that have done it besides her. Um, but, yeah, Lauren's just been, you know, she's pretty much been a starter her entire career. Um, and kind of someone who gets a little overlooked, really. I don't know what it is about the Lawrence at Creighton, but um, <laughs> between Sullivan and Smith and you know they pretty much have to be spectacular to talk about them. but I think you know, I think she just gets a little bit overlooked. You know, I think she has some accolades from the Big East because she's a very good volleyball player obviously, but you know I don't know if I don't know if too many media members around the area could probably, you know, she's usually the go to interview. But I'm not really sure how many people know how good she really is and how much of a difference she's made for the Creighton program over the years. So that was kind of cool to see her, you know, get a pretty big milestone. And, um, you know, I don't have this on official record, but I'm pretty sure Creighton will do something, you know, to kind of commemorate that in their next home match and kind of, you know, give her a moment in the spotlight um, with some kind of 1,000 milestone sort of deal. So... Yeah, that was the highlight. Individual highlight takeaway from that. I think you know one of the other things that uh, Coach Booth was really impressed with, which probably doesn't stand out in the stat sheet as much, is uh the play of Samantha Bonet. Um, she's kind of a defensive specialist, serving specialist slash. I think she was actually set setter against Georgetown last year, in that five set match. So she's kind of done a little bit of everything. Um, but Coach Booth was really pleased with her defensive effort. Um, against the Wildcats out in Philly, and thought she was one of the difference makers in turning the match around and, you know, getting Creighton a four set win. And, uh, offensively late in the match, Taryn Cloth, um, I think she had 13 kills over her final two sets, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. So, and she struggled a little bit in the first set. So I think they were kind of keying on her a little bit. And then once the, you know, once the offense kind of settled back in and then, and the defense got going too, I think, uh, You know, Cloth kind of found a good rhythm and was able to make a difference in the end. And then Georgetown, you know, Coach Booth, you know, if you talk to her, she's always one match at a time. Next matchup is, you know, the most important one on the schedule. And Georgetown last year, you know, Creighton went into that match banged up last day of the regular season. I think they got down two sets to none, if I'm not mistaken. But they ended up having to win it in five. Um... Last year, so it was a pretty, you know, it was a pretty exciting match. And I think that Georgetown had their attention because of that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Creighton just ran them over this this weekend. So, you know, pretty impressive on a one day turnaround because they went from Philly winning a four setter against Villanova, who was a top fifty RPI team. You know, it was a big win, an emotional win, one they had to, you know, overcome some adversity and with losing the first set, uh, and then to turn right around the next day, go to DC, and then sweep Georgetown. Um, stay unbeaten in conference play. Uh, you know, just continues to show that this team is really buying into what the coaching staff says about the next match is the only one you worry about. It's the most important one. Um, this team deserves your respect. And, you know, even though they're playing teams that they should beat, which kind of puts the target, you know, in a weird position, because if you're expected to win, you kind of lose an edge a little bit. And this team is... Um, been able to keep their edge so far during this this uh, stretch of matches where they put together a solid winning streak, um, and it was evident again in the Georgetown match when they
0: didn't really mess around and just swept them and got the business got the job done. Take care of business, and now they get to come home. They'll be in action Friday and Sunday. Uh, we'll preview that a little bit here down the road too. So. Um, Again, another successful week for the fall sports in action that we cover. I know that um, a lot of our listeners are very in tune and interested in how things are going on in the championship center for men's basketball as practice progresses for them. I know there was some scrimmaging. Uh, Matt, you had some uh, Twitter coverage of the women's basketball program, the men's basketball program, doing a little bit of work together as well i know you were down there a little bit you want to just give like a real quick high level overview review for how things are looking for flan and for mac um this far into uh practices
1: yeah i don't know about high level but i'll uh try (laughs) Uh, to give something um
0: the highest level the high quality level you know what to do
1: yeah here we go ready to reach for the bottom um yeah, I mean, men's basketball is kind of getting going. I think they've, I think there's six practices in now, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, before anyone hears this, they'll have actually completed a 6.30 a.m. practice, which uh, as of the time of this recording, it's currently my bedtime, so if I want to make that. So uh, that'll be a fun one Monday morning before um, a few of them fly out to New York for Big East Media Day. Um, and that's going to be an exciting day because everybody gets to find out where Creighton's picked.
0: Oh, yeah. And
1: who who the all-conference players are and yada, yada, yada. So let the hype begin.
0: I That's think when the chips really... on the shoulders get to come back with the luggage from New York or for the kids that didn't even yeah. show up. Yeah, sure.
1: Yeah, this is going to be a hyped weekend for sure. So, yeah, as far as basketball goes, I mean, uh, right now they're I think they're focused a lot on the defensive end of things, which isn't really a surprise. It seems to be early on that they really focus on. You know that communication, getting that communication down, getting that communication consistent, making sure guys understand their assignments, understand, you know, with Max system being, um, you know, with them liking to guard the gaps and liking to help, um, with those two being big emphasis in the defense, um, you know, it's kind of hard for guys sometimes to pick up where they're, where they're supposed to be, when they're supposed to be there, what they're supposed to be saying, and that sort of thing. So, that's been the challenge for the first few practices here. It looks like they're they're getting better each time, though. We haven't had one of those practices where D-Rock just pretty much has to go and lay into guys and go crazy yet. We haven't we haven't hit one of those. I'm um, sure after the first loss, uh, should they suffer one, um, it'll be time for that. But so far, it's just been a lot of teaching, um, especially for the younger guys. You know, you see Davion Mints and Kobe Paris and. Martin Crample, who, you know, isn't a new guy, but he didn't practice last year because he was out with the ACL tear. So, um, you know, those three are all kind of in the same group as far as learning the system. And then uh, the Justin Pattons, uh, the guys that are kind of in new roles, uh, important roles, uh, you know, kind of getting them on the same page. Um, They they still look very athletic. Uh, I think that's really going to be, you know, I, I don't know if people don't see it on a daily basis, it might be kind of jarring at first because they are a lot more athletic than they were last year. I mean, huh. um, you know, Kobe Paris jumps out. I mean, I was watching Kobe Parris today. They were doing a a drill where they kind of have like a little a little pad or a big body pad, if you will, and oh, they make sure. the guards go and drive through that and hit a layup through you know that pad drilling them through contact. You know. Mm-hmm. And Kobe Paris was literally jumping over that thing and dunking the whole time. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it's a little different. He was just throwing down one handed just haymakers at the rim, nice. um, through contact. So he's an athletic freak, and uh, obviously Marcus Foster is on a tear right now. Um, he's really improved since individual workouts, and he looks like you know he you know if you want to say you want to like try to get into his head and all this stuff. Um, he looks pretty determined to, you know, kind of make the most of, he's glad to be eligible again. And, you know, he knows things are, he has high expectations that people expect a lot out of him and expect him to be a difference maker. And, um, that's been reflective in practice so far because he's, he's been phenomenal on both ends of the floor, a really big difference maker. And, um, he's even leading some huddles too. He's very vocal, um, vocal on the defensive end where he needs to be and you know obviously his scoring is unparalleled on the team so that will speak for itself
0: well uh, and i mean so i think all
1: the th- all the things you all the things you want to see you're seeing so far out of
0: practice well you talk about i that kind of jokingly alluded to chips on the shoulders earlier but a guy like Ma- marcus you know every time anybody writes anything about his role coming onto this team this year, it obviously leads with what you mentioned, right? His scoring ability, um, just his natural talent, his athleticism, and that being a fit for what this team needs. But then the second paragraph is always, right, alludes to his relationship with Coach Weber or how things didn't go as well. His second year at Kansas State, as it did his first, and, you know, mm-hmm. reading between the lines and was it a him problem? Was it a Weber problem? Was it whatever else? Um, I could see where that would leave a, a guy determined. You know, sits out a year, new situation, new coaching staff, new community, new players. I mean, he's got a blank slate for the most part. And by all accounts, it sounds like he's ready to do some really good things. So um, I hope that that continues. And I hope that people can, I hope it continues in a way. Right. Where where people that that second paragraph maybe starts to get distanced down the page a bit or maybe it doesn't even show mm-hmm. up at all. You know, write a new script, write a new story and and let the play speak for itself. But I guess time will tell on that, you know. Yeah, for sure. And then Flan I don't know if you've been able to down go down and check out any of that stuff, but uh, I know Coach Rasmussen talks uh, in the interview coming up a lot about women's basketball and and how injuries can really um, be detrimental to a team's uh, psyche you know based on where they expected to be or where others expected them to be uh, coming into a season and and um, certainly he talks about last year losing Marissa and and other injuries that came along for uh, Jim Flannery's team what's the prognosis on how things are progressing for Flan and the Blue Jays down at Sokol? Uh,
1: I think, you know, just from talking to him, I think, you know, he was a little disappointed with the way they kind of started. Um, obviously, this team has high expectations with having everybody back from last year except for uh, Tessa Leadum. And uh, I think, you know, I think what you'll see out of that, what, you know, those expectations are for, for you know, what they think of themselves uh, will be reflected in how the league perceives uh, them as well. When you look at what the coach, where the coaches selected them on Tuesday, I expect that to be pretty high. I don't want to give any spoiler alerts or anything, so I'll just let that play out. But they're going to be, they're going to be expected to do some things outside from an outsider perspective as well as in their own gym. And uh, you know, everybody pretty much for the most part is healthy um, right now. Jade Owens is kind of banged up a little bit, so she's been missing some time. Um, but you know, they've been slowly getting getting better each day. Um, I think with the thing with them is what Flan kind of is hoping to see out of that group is just a really I think he's expecting them to be a really good practice team just because they're not only a veteran group, they're not you know that where they've played a lot of college basketball and they've been in games and practices and know how to do things, but they've also played together a lot. So that's one of those things where you hope you don't have to motivate that team too much you know, to be focused in practice and do the things that, all the little things that you usually have to teach freshmen and sophomores, um, you know, the value of communication, where to be on defense, uh, what to communicate, how to communicate, where to be, and that sort of thing. You're hoping those things kind of take care of themselves from a leadership standpoint, from an experience standpoint, and that's kind of what you expect out of that group from a practice perspective is just for them to come in every day, you know, they're not, they don't practice as long as the men do, and they don't have two a days. Um, you know, some of their practices are pretty grueling when they get to go against their, their boys' intramural team. That's usually pretty physical and pretty demanding. Um, but, you know, other than that, I think he just, you know, there's look, you're going to have two hours a, a day <clears throat> when they practice, sometimes less. You know, I think he just wants them to show up focused, you know, give whatever they can for that short amount of time and you know make sure they're preparing themselves the right way and uh so far that's been the challenge you know early on is kind of getting everybody you know at that first week you kind of have to get back into the swing of things and I think that's kind of where both teams really are is kind of just you know feeling their way back into a good rhythm
0: that's a really good segue I think Matt um obviously we've just covered a a ton of Creighton athletics here at the first half of the show. And now we get to segue into something I know you and I are both really excited about, and it's a really a coup for us on the, on the, on the podcast here, which is obviously in its infancy, but um, our next guest, our next, next interview is with Creighton athletic director, Bruce Rasmussen, a man who coached the Creighton women's basketball program back in the day and um, has seen, um athletics at creighton improve uh, just systematically immensely during his time as ad um, I know that you were able to sit down and kind of run the gamut of everything going on on campus at least at a at a cursory level um, and sport by sport um, maybe give a little bit of a, a peek into um, you know your your sit down with with Bruce and and what you really took away from getting to spend with what a lot of people would love to spend is 30 minutes talking and hearing from, uh, talking to and hearing from the AD of, of of Creighton Athletics. Yeah, I mean, you
1: pretty much just hit the nail on the head right there. There's not really much uh, much to say the interview. I mean, I could pretty much just title it everything, and it just covers everything. Uh, you know, I, I can't really take much credit for, um, the content in the interview, all I did was really, you know, I pretty much just gave him keywords in regards to each sport, and he just rattled off, you know, a long, detailed answer each time and gave a lot of, I think, really good insight into, you know, the expectations for the basketball program, uh, both basketball programs, um, the state of Big East basketball, uh, the state of the conference and the things they're trying to do, um, you know to develop the student athletes on the court and off the court with uh, obviously the freshman fundamentals, uh, which they did. You know for the newcomers, and then uh, the women. A few of the women's players from Creighton were out in New York as well too, kind of doing some post um, post college career, uh, a post college career program to kind of get you know some idea of uh, you know what to do when your basketball playing career is over and then uh yeah we uh, we get into uh, women's soccer a little bit and i kind of get he kind of gets into what uh you know what what he was seeing behind the reason for bringing Ross Pauly on board as the head coach you know what he saw to him as a player what he sees out of him as a coach a developing coach because he's never coached uh been a head coach at you know any level before that um and what he sees out of that program going forward and um men's soccer is you know Still trucking along, still nationally relevant. So it's pretty much just a, a state of the union on them and how they're able to bounce back from losing um, key contributors and Fabian Herbers and Timo Pitta and uh, Connor Sparrow and those guys. Mm-hmm. And then volleyball. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I should just let the man do it. I mean, it's yeah. really he, he gives a very detailed he gives a very detailed rundown of historical significance, uh, kind of state of the unions, um, just pretty much each program, you know, uh, baseball, volleyball, women's soccer, men's soccer, men's women's basketball. Uh, really it's everything you think you probably want to know uh, about each of those programs, about each of their, you know, going forward, the future. Straight um, from the horses. He mouth. Much, yeah. He pretty much gives a rundown of what he expects out of everything.
0: So, cool. Without further ado, yeah, the man himself. Uh, I think that's the way to naturally jump into this. So um, we'll go ahead and we'll listen to Matt DiMarenas interviewing Bruce Rasmussen here on the Blue Jays Bites podcast for com.
1: Thanks for sitting down with us. Um, I guess the first thing I want to talk about is a little bit outside the box, but um, one thing the Big East seems to do as far as with basketball, both women and men, is kind of bookending beginning of their careers and the end of their careers. They had the women out there kind of talking about life after basketball and then the men obviously with the freshman fundamentals, I guess. What are your impressions of what they're trying to do with both the women and men's basketball as far as getting them, you know, accustomed to what it's
2: like? Well, student-athlete welfare is important, and with men's and women's basketball, you want to have them as educated as possible. I think the Freshman Fundamentals program is is a very good program for men's basketball. It talks to them a lot about... Um, you know, the responsibilities and how to handle them and how to prepare for a career after. Uh, We do a lot of that on our campus, so there's some redundancy in this, but it never hurts to hear it again, and it never hurts to hear it from some people who have been there, done that. For women's basketball, this is the first year we've done it, and uh, uh, it was, the men are the, the men's freshman fundamentals, some of it is pointed towards being a professional basketball player. Okay. Uh, where with the women it's more uh, towards preparing for a career after basketball. Uh, some of it is preparing for a career in athletics, whether it be uh, as a, for instance, play-by-play voice, or a uh, color person to use your background, or to Uh, prepare for a professional career and how basketball might help Uh, and that professional career being maybe outside of basketball where with the men it's more involved with basketball there are a lot more professional opportunities for men Mm -hmm. men's basketball players and women's basketball players. Again, I think both programs are very good. I think it it certainly demonstrates the priority of the Big East towards student-athlete welfare and making sure we do a good job of educating. But, uh, you know, there is some redundancy because we do a lot of the same things on our campus. Sure. Do you like
1: that the Big East kind of understands its identity as far as being a basketball-centric conference and You know, doing things, taking steps to, you know, showcase that. You know, I know volleyball is kind of on the rise and it kind of gets – maybe doesn't get the credit it always deserves, but what do you think about the way the Big
2: East kind of handles its main sport? Well – Even though the Big East doesn't want to be a one-trick pony, Mm -hmm. we we don't want to be known just for basketball alone, the league was formed because of men's basketball. The league was formed with the mission of making our men's basketball conference the best basketball conference in the country. There's some debate about whether or not that can or will happen, but with that as a mission, then the Big East is intensely focused on being the best men's basketball conference we can be, and and I agree with that. I think that's why we were formed, and we will be judged as being successful or not successful primarily based on how we do in men's basketball. You know the the but. The Big East doesn't want to be a one-trick pony, and sure. we have very good. Our men's soccer uh, conference is one of the better men's soccer conferences in the country. Women's soccer is very strong. Uh, women's volleyball, in spite of the fact that it's not a priority of the Big East, women's volleyball is a very talented league and, and is better than a lot of people thought. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think men's and women's basketball are very strong Uh uh, men's and women's soccer very strong women's volleyball is very strong and we, I think we need to do some things to make baseball a little bit stronger sure. we only have seven schools that play and a couple of those don't make a strong commitment to it but uh, the Big East has in my opinion more aligned with the Autonomy 5 than most of the other non-Autonomy 5 conferences when people think of national credibility conferences the Big East a lot of times is mentioned with the autonomy five as opposed to being mentioned with the other schools. We hope to continue to make that a strength. Sure. I guess
1: um, knowing that this was formed for men's basketball and the things you just touched on there, how important was it, I guess, to get off to a good start? Because when you kind of recap what's gone on for the first three years, you know, Doug obviously took the league by storm. Villanova won a title. You know, you guys have a lot of national recognition as far as the accolades when the season's over. Yeah, it's
2: it's a great question, and it it was was extremely valuable that we demonstrate as soon as we could that we will be – a national player in men's basketball. Uh, there were a lot of people who said, well, the new Big East is not the old Big East. You know, you don't have Syracuse, you don't have Louisville, you don't have Notre Dame. You know, But I think what we've shown is that in spite of the fact that football generates a tremendous amount of money, that, that you can be a nationally credible league by focusing on men's basketball and by focusing on a person of the personal nature of academics and and being a school where basketball is at the front of the bus not in the back of the bus. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first year uh, the conference was number two Second rank, ranked conference in RPI. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were number two again last year in, in terms of RPI. So, and I think the middle year we were third. So we've been in the top three from an RPI standpoint in each of the three leagues, the uh, years the league has been in existence. And I really feel, based on what I have seen of all of the conferences in the United States in basketball that the Big East has. More talent coming back, and also had a great recruiting year. So I would not at all be surprised that we see the Big East, one of the top two or three conferences in the country, again.
1: It's good. You lead into my kind of my next phase of questions there. I want to kind of like get a smaller picture as far as individual teams you've got going here. Obviously, women's basketball and men's basketball are entering a season which I think both will have heightened expectations. I guess first on uh, Coach McDermott's group, what do you think? I guess the bar. Um, should be set for them as far as what they think they can accomplish this year?
2: Well, first of all, the being in the Big East has been a great move for Creighton, mm-hmm. but it will continue to be a great move only if we can show that we can be credible in men's basketball on a regular basis. The reality is if you're in the top five or six in our conference, you're most likely going to be in the NCAA tournament. I mean, that's been the history, and, and looking forward, I would – Anticipate that that continues to be the case. So, you'd like to be show that you can consistently be in the top half of the conference. I think if we can stay healthy this year, I I think we've got the potential to be very good. Potential means you haven't yet done it. Uh, And basketball is fragile. You know, the health of key players is really significant in whether or not uh, you you have a good team and a good program. Our women's basketball team last year thought we were going to be very good. We had two key starters that got injured, and and it affected their performance. Uh, Men's basketball, we have some key players that uh, are either coming off injuries or not going 100% yet that we need to have. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you also look at the conference, and, and we could be a lot better basketball team this year than we were last year and not finish significantly better in the conference. Villanova, again, will be one of the top teams in the country. Uh, Xavier, I think, will be one of the top teams in the country. Last year, of all the teams that I saw in person, I thought Xavier had the best talent one through ten. Mm-hmm. Now, when you get in the tournament, you got to hit shots at the right time. You know, two and three years ago, I thought Villanova had some of the best talent in the country, and they just they didn't shoot well when they needed to. Right. That happened to Xavier last year in the tournament. But it, neither Villanova nor Xavier lost. Uh, A ton of players they each lost some key players but they have a lot of players returning Seton Hall has uh, six of their top seven players back now they lost a nice player in Isaiah Whitehead but he wasn't their only player sure and Seton Hall had really has the potential to be a a top ten team Georgetown had a, had two key players last year out. They missed the majority of the year. They got two uh, transfers who were eligible and they had a great recruiting year. So I expect Georgetown to be very, very good again this year. So those four teams, in addition to Creighton, I think have the potential to be top 25. Uh, if not at the end of the year, I think at some point during the year. So the league is gonna be an absolute monster night in and night out, and that's where depth of talent is key and also staying healthy is key. On the women's side, you know, we have a lot of players coming back, and, and, uh, you know, getting Marissa Janning back will help, so I I would expect that on both, the the expectations for both the men and the women are high, and and I'll be disappointed if, if we don't meet those expectations. Sure. On to, I guess,
1: men's soccer... Obviously you're replacing and Timo, you know, Connor, there's question marks at very key positions. Um, Alex Cap so far has looked like he's been better than the advertiser as good as yeah. advertised, but I guess what do you think about the men's soccer performance and what Elmar and Johnny and those guys have, you know, kinda got them going so
2: far? Well, when you lose the depth of talent that we lost last year, and you know we had three All-Americans last year, and when you lose the depth of talent that we lost, most people would expect that you're going to take a step back. And yet, what Elmore and Johnny and the staff do- has done on a regular basis does not surprise me. You know, I think Elmar and Johnny are the best coaching combination in the country in men's soccer. uh, They've recruited uh, to replace the talent we have. While I don't think we have the individual talent of a Timo or a Fabian, I think that uh, overall our depth is better. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, I think our, our overall team balance is better and then it really helps, as you mentioned. really helps have that goalie on the back end that he has been unbelievable. I mean you know I, I talked to coach about it the other day and well, he knew that Alex was very good. Uh, we wouldn't have taken him had we not known that he was very good. He has been exceptional. I mean, it's hard to imagine that there's been a better goalie from the start of the year to now than, than Alex Cap. And I really – the other thing that's really encouraging to me is that I think from the 1st of September until now, I think we've improved dramatically, and I don't think we've reached our ceiling. I, I think that the – the improvement we've made individually and as a team from early in the year till now has just been amazing.
1: Ross, uh, Paulie's group obviously got a big win over Marquette, and that's that's always kind of been a really measuring stick for them because they always jump out. You know, Marquette coming in when this league was formed was really the juggernaut of the conference. Um, and then, you know, they really put it on Creighton for that first game. To get that win, I guess, what did that – Maybe tell you about the trajectory of the program. I guess as far as what Ross is doing in his first two years here.
2: Well, the win certainly helped validate uh, to a number of people what Ross and his staff has done and what the players have done. But I saw that coming. You know, uh, we we went through a period of time in women's soccer where we were a little dysfunctional, and and Ross came into a tough situation last year Mm -hmm. and really wasn't able to do the recruiting that we think he can do and yet he has a great freshman class. We're very young as a team and as a program and uh, I would I, I would expect that we'll continue to get better this year. We're nowhere near where we want to be, we're nowhere near where we can be so I, I think we'll see ups and downs during the year especially sure. because the Big East is such a tough women's soccer conference. But I think the trajectory of the team and the program is really exciting. I expect that in the next two or three years, we'll again be nationally relevant in women's soccer. What did you What
1: did you see out of him when you were looking for the person to lead the program into the Big East and kind of you know? Because obviously he comes in here and he looks at the Stadium. He tells me you know we're going to, we want to compete for national titles he thinks i'm crazy for you know trying to tell him to slow
2: down but he says look at these facilities how can you not want to compete for those things well first of all you know what i look for in any of our coaches uh is we want to make certain that we're not we're a part of the university not apart from the university so we want to make sure that we reflect the mission of the university but for people with passion and intelligence and character you don't have to be around ross very much to know he's really passionate about soccer absolutely uh, he understands creighton creighton understands him as a former player uh he has played and coached at about every level. He was the national director of soccer for FCA, Uh, so Ross is very knowledgeable in the sport. He's got unbelievably high character. I mean, he was, you know, one of the uh, first developers of what we call 3D, three-dimensional coaching, uh, which was sponsored by the FCA. So, and Ross has... Uh, unbelievable recruiting connections as a result of that. So uh, what we saw was somebody who understands Creighton, who's passionate about Creighton, who's passionate about soccer, very intelligent soccer, and unbelievably high character. So if you write a job description of what you'd like in that position, Ross's picture is is there. Do you
1: notice a lot of the, I guess, um, Something, I guess, in his coaching style and his personality, as far as how competitive he is, drawing comparisons to the way you played the game because he was part of that first group that kind of ascended Creighton men's soccer.
2: Well, first of all, as a soccer player, the the, the game was went frame by frame for Ross. I mean, he saw the game in slow motion. And uh, you like people that are that way. You know, it's why I think a lot of point guards make good basketball coaches. A lot of catchers make good bas- or baseball managers. Right. A lot of quarterbacks make good qu- Coaches because they're forced to see the game. They see all of it and they see it frame by frame. And Ross was unbelievably talented as a soccer player and that he saw the whole field and he saw it in slow motion and so you know we expected that if he had a passion for coaching that he'd be very talented at it you know he hadn't coached at the division one level and it is a different animal so there is a learning curve but Ross gets better every day you know his staff is very good and and uh, the players that he has recruited uh, I think really fit the mission of Creighton and of uh, the culture that we're trying to develop throughout the athletic department.
1: Volleyball, off to, I guess, you know, Kirsten is like flan that she wants to put her team through a ringer in non-conference play, but when you look at, I guess, just looking at that Nebraska match and knowing that they're the gold standard in this country for success and see how competitive that match was from pretty much start to finish, um, I mean, in your wildest most optimistic imagination of what you thought this program could become when you hired Kirsten Bernthalbooth. booth Could you ever imagine that you would see that type of thing one day?
2: Well, interestingly, when we hired Kirsten, uh, we had a selection committee, and they unanimously recommended someone else. Oh, really? <laughs> and I, I vetoed them, and uh, the the volleyball team at the time came to me and, and threatened to walk out uh, because... We didn't hire who they wanted us to hire, okay. and, and I told them that the volleyball program would go on, with or without them. But I was, uh, I was convinced that Kirsten was the right person for us. It, it happened that her boss. Uh, Kirkwood Community College had been a coach of mine when I was in high school, and he was president of Kirkwood, and he spoke very highly of her, but again, she fit the same categories that we talked about with Ross. you know, very passionate about volleyball, uh, uh, very intelligent in the game, a high character, a great teacher of the game, and when you watch our players, you know, sometimes you forget. The phrase is, you play volleyball, you play basketball, you play soccer, and sometimes there are some very outstanding coaches who take a lot of the enjoyment out of the game, and they're good teachers, uh, uh, and they're very intelligent, they're high character. But I think that we we forget that there has to be an element of joy in the process coach McDermott there's an element of joy in the process with coach Booth there is but you can't watch our volleyball team play without coming to the realization very quickly that they are having a good time while they're going through the process they enjoy each other they enjoy the game they enjoy the competition they enjoy life they've represented themselves and the program the university in the right way they get better Uh, they have a love for the game and for each other and you can tell by the way they play and that comes from the from the head coach, and so well, if you'd asked me if I thought we could be consistently a top 15 or 20 program, I, I I couldn't have honestly said that. But it doesn't surprise me at all, and and I don't think we're anywhere near what we are going to be as as long as we can continue to, to uh, uh, keep this coaching staff. She she kind of agrees with that. She thinks that this is just almost
1: you know the first bar that she wanted to clear I guess from your perspective you know of all the years watching her kind of build this program and knock out barrier by barrier to see uh their run to the sweet 16 last year having to go to Carolina and play in front of that you know pretty much a true road match to get there what was that like for you what did you I guess what was the experience like seeing them finish that off and get to San Diego, like for years. Well, I,
2: I was relieved because we didn't bid and, right. and they should have bid, and it just fell through the cracks. So you felt bad that a team that earned the right to play at home had to go on the road and play, and yet they they had outstanding success, as you mentioned. Uh, you know, I, Kirsten's one of those coaches that uh, you know her goal is that we not only win every match but that we win every point, hmm. and it, and yet it. You may think that's an impossible goal, but you know the good coaches and the good players. It, it's it's not whether or not you reach your goals. It what it's what happens to you in your attempt to reach your goals, and in your attempt to reach the, your goals. You know if you can demonstrate a love for the game and for each other, and an execution of the fundamentals, and the willingness to be uncomfortable, and the pursuit of excellence. Uh, then it isn't as important that you reach your goal as uh, goals as what happens. And so, you know, this this program has a culture of they expect to be the best program in the country, and uh, they go about the process that way. And whether they reach that goal or not is not as important as what's happened to them. Individually and as a group, in the attempt to reach the goals, they're just—that's the. It's exciting to watch the women's volleyball team because, you know, I think they demonstrate all that's great about athletics.
1: You touched on baseball a little bit as far as what the, what you think maybe the conference should do um, in regards to that sport. Obviously, I've had conversations with Ed recently about what he thinks. Some things they can do as far as you know non-conference scheduling and building the profile. What, what are some areas I guess that you or have you highlighted um, in regards to maybe improving the profile of the conference?
2: Well, first of all, uh, non-conference scheduling is the key. Yep. You know when you play when you play fifty six regular season games and you only have 18 conference games the majority of your games are out of conference where in most sports you're playing at least 50 percent of your games in the conference and we're playing two-thirds of our games outside the conference and so how you schedule and how you do outside the conference is real key to us having more credibility nationally and obviously you want to do well in your conference but uh, how we do outside the conference is more critical in baseball than any sport that we have. So I think it's important that we schedule the right way, not just Crichton, but every, every team in the league. And then uh, you'd like to have other people in the conference understand, you know, how baseball and being good in baseball can impact uh, how people feel nationally about the Big East. Uh, There are some schools in the Big East that make a very strong commitment to baseball in addition to us. You know, St. John's and Seton Hall have traditionally been very good. Mm -hmm. Xavier has become a lot better. And so you you hope that we can get, of the seven schools that have baseball, you hope that uh, they continue to increase their commitment. And in addition to scheduling, then, obviously we need to make the commitment on a school by school basis to be good. I think there's some things nationally that can happen in baseball. The more that the baseball season is moved later, uh, the more the northern schools become relevant. I mean, baseball is still, while it's a national sport, is really still dominated by the Sun Belt teams. For sure. And I happen to believe that by moving the start of the season later, playing the whole schedule later, that it, it has a chance to, again, become a national sport more than a sunbelt sport. But that's on the national level. At the, at the league level, uh, we have to recruit better. And to recruit better, you have to show that you're committed. And then you have to uh, make you have to make the commitment, you have to have the facilities, but you also have to have the coaches that can go out and get key players. And then uh, we have to schedule better, Mm -hmm. and especially in the non-conference.
1: I guess I know, you know, athletic departments have their budgets and all that thing, and some of these teams have sports that, you know, go beyond, uh, I guess, just baseball, obviously. But are you surprised with the way you've seen, I guess, Creighton, specifically other schools, pull kids out of Wisconsin and Illinois that DePaul and Marquette um, don't have, I guess, don't have baseball?
2: Well... First of all, while there are a lot of commonalities with each school in the Big East, each school is unique. Sure. And uh, while I, while it's obvious that on the men's basketball on the men's side, basketball is the number one sport, it isn't as obvious what's number two or number three. And I think that's up to each individual school. On the women's side, it, it's not obvious necessarily what's the number one sport. Right. But when you have a Providence College win the uh, Frozen Four in hockey, when you have uh, Villanova win cross-country and track and field, you know, when you have schools winning uh, in in field hockey or in lacrosse, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and we've had a number of college cup participants in men's soccer, uh, you know, you're seeing that it... While there are a lot of commonalities in the league, each school has its own uniqueness and its own priorities. Right. Volleyball is certainly much more of a priority for us than it is for some other schools in the league. Mm-hmm. But for some other schools, maybe uh, track and field and cross country are more important, or, or ice hockey, or lacrosse. Sure. And so uh, it hasn't been, um, you know, it, it's been, for, your your question is, maybe pertains to baseball, but. Uh, in baseball, it's, it, it is difficult for a northern sport to say, we're going to make a, the, a total commitment to baseball uh, if you don't have the football money to help fund that, which some of the Big Ten have done. They've taken their football money at Indiana and Iowa and Minnesota and some other places and upgraded their facilities. So it's more difficult for a DePaul or a Marquette, or it's difficult even for a Crane. The thing that's helped us is the fact that we host the College World Series. We have the best college baseball facility in the country, but it but it but it is difficult. So, in Minnesota and in Wisconsin and Illinois, where they don't necessarily have Big East uh, baseball, uh, those are recruiting areas for us and the school. What the school offers, a quality personal education uh, and with focus on a lot of things and mission-based, is attractive to kids from those states that want to play baseball.
1: Uh, rass so I appreciate you know your time. I know talking about every single sport you got here is very time consuming. and You're a busy guy, but I appreciate you sitting down. Well, there. we
2: appreciate yeah. you building, uh, the commitment you make. It really helps us. It helps our program, our coaches, our athletes, and our boosters all feel good about it. So, appreciate it. Thanks for your time.
0: Yeah, Matt, just wanted to thank you. That was uh, an awesome sort of State of the Union from the head man himself, Bruce Rasmussen. Um, really appreciate you be able to track him down and and hopefully that's not you know the last time for a while that we hear from him because um it could be right I mean he's a busy man he's, yeah
1: I mean I spent a lot of time so he might be sick of me so
0: <laughs> well he have might
1: i might have I might have used it all up right in that one uh, one day so who he's knows? got a lot on this we'll
0: uh got a lot on his plate obviously keeping everybody in check and and progressing here on the hilltop but he is the vice chair of the NCA Basketball Selection Committee in 2016-2017, a year preceding when he will serve as the chairman. 2017-2018 uh, season that's shaping up to be quite a important year in um, Creighton athletics history. Just when you think about, regardless of what's going on on the court, um, they're going to be in the spotlight even even more than um, they are just regularly with the College World Series and, and being the host institution for that tournament because they'll host an Elite Eight in uh, uh, Sweet 16 in 2017, 2018, and Bruce will be the chairman of that selection committee. So a lot of eyes um, in in among the diehard college basketball Illuminati, I guess, uh, will, be, will be figuring how Bruce plays in and how Creighton hosts uh, that opportunity. So uh a great opportunity for you to speak with him and to to bring jay's fans his perspective um from a leadership level of everything that's going on on campus so again great interview um you guys ended with baseball there and it's a nice segue here because you were able to throw in kind of a, a a nice uh super treat for jay's fans and jay's baseball fans in particular I know you were able to catch up with uh, San Francisco Giant pitcher Ty Block here uh, within the last couple of days. Ty's had kind of a whirlwind September and October, leaving the Pacific Coast League and heading to the uh, big league club, which just so happened to have secured one of the wild cards in the National League. The Giants beat the Mets in the one and the one-game wild card scenario and now find themselves in the National League Divisional Series against the Chicago Cubs. Ty pitching at Wrigley Field in game two, going one and one-third inning, uh, retiring everybody he faced, three of which were 2016 All-Stars, two strikeouts out of the four batters he faced. So just uh, a really great opportunity for for Jays fans to catch up with a recent Creighton uh, baseball legend Ty block who's, who's, uh, seen his professional career kind of take off here and blossom, um, in crunch time for a team that knows a little bit about winning in crunch time. So, um, anything Matt, you want to say before we jump into your interview with, with Ty, you want to just get into it? No, I mean, I just, uh, kind of speaks for itself.
1: Um, he actually called me on, we actually hooked up on, uh, his sister's birthday. So his sister Haley obviously plays for the Creighton Women's Soccer team. Mm-hmm. She's a freshman there, continuing the uh continuing the Block family legacy of Blue Jay athletics. And uh yeah, while they were beating Seaton Hall into the ground we conducted this interview. So if you hear uh Lauren Sullivan score a goal over the PA in the <laughs> background, I apologize. So uh, she just scores kind of goal
0: beat. she just scores goals yeah. all the time. So it might just have happened right now while we're recording this podcast too. She might just score yeah. it sometimes. So
1: she's always she's scoring them at all times of the day. So, <laughs> um, yeah, and then it's uh, you know, it's kind of an all kind of he kind of just it's kind of like a recap of pretty much his season, um, touching on the call up, um, you know, getting to make his. Uh, He to have his first cup of coffee at Wrigley Field and, you know, the shock and awe of all that. And then obviously facing off against Clayton Kershaw is one of the best in the game, beating him, getting into the playoffs. And then obviously that crazy game against the Mets where um, Omaha native Connor Gillespie and former MVC uh, opponent of ties hit that home run to, um, you know, get the Giants into the series with the Cubs. So, it's a pretty good look at, uh, you know, who I think is a really great guy, not only a baseball player, but, you know, one of the most fun interviews I've had to do just because, you know, of how pretty much open and honest he is and how, you know, he's just a really classy guy. So
3: sure.
1: he's one of those guys that, you know, you don't try to, you know, root for outcomes or certain things like that. But if there's people that you meet along the way that, you know, have those characteristics, you, you you definitely want to root for them and Ty is one of those guys. So, you know, I appreciate the time he made. Um I think he we, we actually did the interview right after um their first practice at Wrigley um that night, so um yeah here he is. All right. For Ty, everybody to listen
0: to Ty Block speaking with Matt D on the Blue Jays Bites podcast.
1: Uh, on the phone with former Creighton Blue Jay Ace and current San Francisco Giants um, left-handed starter Ty Block. Ty, uh, thanks for being on with us and how are things going for you? Uh,
3: things are great. Thanks
1: for having me. So I guess, uh, first of all, just uh, kind of take me through um, late in the season for you because I imagine in your second year um, at the A level, you were kind of, especially the way you had been performing this season, you were kind of figuring um, that a call-up would come. But I guess take me through the couple days before uh, leading up to it and then obviously your reaction to finally getting the call.
3: Yeah, it's one of those things where... Uh you just got to go about your business every day. You can't really worry about things that are out of your control. So I was just down there trying to uh, work as hard as I could and put myself in the best position that I could. And I just try to get better every day. And so I think that was big for me, was being able to just focus on the moment. And uh, then when I did find out that I was going to be going up, uh, you know, there, there there was a few tears shed just for all the hard work and everything. And all the people that have helped me a out, out along the way it's, uh, it's been a really special journey who was the uh, i
1: guess who were the first people you called when you got the news
3: uh, i called my parents um uh, so i talked to them i called the, my little sister uh she was uh, out of creighton so I, I gave her a call i called my girlfriend so uh, that was it was fun to be able to talk with them and, with
1: them. Now, I guess you know, just looking at your 2015 um, performance, and then obviously your 2016 one. It, you know, I guess for a pitcher in 2016, you kind of improved in every area that you really want a pitcher wants to improve in from the year before. What was the biggest difference for you at that level? Um, I guess, and how are you able to improve really across the board?
3: To pitch at that level in order to have success. Um, just being able to command the baseball in the zone, uh, both sides of the plate, uh, changing speeds, that was really big for me to be able to go out there and uh, just execute every day. Um, my breaking balls got a lot better, uh, so that helped a lot just keep the hitters off balance and uh, really allowed my fastball and change up to flourish. <laughs> I guess uh, you I
1: guess when you got the call up your first the series of the Giants were in were against were on the road against the Cubs, correct?
3: Yeah, it was against
1: the Cubs, yeah, here in Wrigley. So your first uh I guess cup of coffee was technically at Wrigley, correct? yeah I I guess just take me through the the kind of the awe the moment of you know walking into your first professional you know your first professional clubhouse um you know at a you know a hollow stadium like that
3: yeah you walk into Wrigley Field and and you're walking into a whole lot of baseball history. You know, uh, you walk into a locker room and it hasn't changed in uh, almost 100 years. So uh, it's crazy, crazy hearing the stories and the people that have been in there. And um, it's it's just a phenomenal place. So to be able to to make uh, my first professional game be there, you know, in the big leagues, that was really really fun. Uh, just to just to be in that. Uh,
1: moment and you feel that in the stadium. Now, I guess, uh, you know, obviously that's something that I'm sure you dreamt about as a kid playing baseball, but did you, I guess, when you first stepped foot on the field or in the clubhouse or wherever it was, did you um, kind of have to stop and, I don't know, pinch yourself a little dramatic? But did you have a moment where you kind of went back to some of those, you know, those little kid memories of kind of dreaming about this day eventually coming true?
3: The whole time, you're just soaking it all in, and you're thinking, "Man, like I've worked my whole life for this, and you know it's actually here." So it's kind of like, "Wow, I can't believe I'm here," kind of deal. But uh, it was it was really special uh, being out there the first time, and then uh, you know once you get on that mound, it's the same game that you've played for your whole life. So uh, you just go back to what you've done, and uh, just know that uh, you're playing it at the highest level. is pretty neat.
1: What were the nerves like when you first got the call to, you know, come out and step on the mound and actually throw some pitches that mattered?
3: Uh, The the first time, you know, it it was a first for me coming out of the bullpen. I haven't really done that much in my career. So, uh, so that was, I think that was one of the most nerve wracking parts was getting loose in the bullpen and then, you know, you run through those gates and it's game on. So, uh, uh, once I was able to throw that first pitch, that hitter standing there, it was it was back to what what we trained for and uh, what I've done my whole life. So uh, it was it was really
1: gratifying to be able to do that. Do you get those? Did you get to a point where you were so nervous as you're running out there? Do you think are you counting steps? Are you counting breaths? And then before you actually, like you said, throw the pitch to kind of settle back into what you've always done? But is there a moment where you're absolutely losing it?
3: You know, for me. Not- uh, the, the bullpen a little bit. I was, I was a little nervous in the bullpen. You know, you, you let a few wild ones go out there, but um, you kind of get back to those mental cues that were successful for you, and uh, you're able to just go out there and uh, just be in that moment and just execute pitches.
1: What's it like man? I'm not sure, uh, you know, I guess when you look at Buster Posey's career, As a catcher, you know, he's caught a ton of no-hitters. He's caught some World Series winners. I mean, what's it like working with a guy like that? Is he, I mean, does he help pitchers as much as... Um, you know as much as it's kind of advertised that he does or what's I guess what's the dynamic life between you know pitcher and catcher in that regard
3: yeah Buster's unbelievable behind the plate uh, just his understanding of the game his understanding of the hitters uh, understanding the situation um, you can trust that whatever sign he puts down you know there's been a lot of you know mental hours of preparation along with physical hours of preparation uh, going into that one pitch and uh so it gives you a lot of confidence as a pitcher that you're throwing the right pitch every time. And uh, if you're just able to execute and throw it, throw it to his glove, then uh, you're going to have a good result most of the time.
1: Obviously, your uh, moment to shine was in that huge uh... – that huge uh, game against the Dodgers there with, uh, you know, it had big ramifications for your team, but you're facing, you know, your counterpart on the other side is one of the best, you know, in, in pretty much the history of the game. What was, I guess, what were you, what was your mindset going into that game knowing that, you know, you were facing a guy that probably you know, lowered your margin for error on your side, but also that it was a big game for your team? Yeah,
3: you know, I just looked at it as a great opportunity. Um, I knew it was going to be a tough test, but uh, I knew at the same time that if I could go out there and execute pitches, um, I knew the guys were going to play hard behind me, and I just had to trust them that they were going to make the plays and uh, just see what happened. And, um, and like I said, Buster did a great job behind the plate, and defense played awesome for me all day. And uh, you're able to battle offensively and scratch a couple of runs across, and uh, a lot of good things happen. Now, you
1: also helped your own cause against Clayton, if I'm not mistaken. You had a couple of hits, right? What's it like facing a guy like that?
3: <laughs> yeah, as a pitcher, uh, you know we're not expected to do a whole lot in the box, uh, but uh, it, you know it's fun getting it. Uh, to step in there, you always you always watch a guy like that on TV, and you see his stuff on TV, and you wonder how it's going to be in person. So uh, sometimes, as a starting pitch, you just swing hard and uh, close your eyes, and hopefully. You put the barrel on the ball, and I was
1: able to do that a couple of times. So when it gets through, what's your reaction? Do you? I mean, I imagine you're like, okay, now I got to run, or did so you get hit off Kershaw? <laughs> was there a moment of shock <laughs> there? Well,
3: uh, I hit the first one, and I hit it pretty decent to right. And next thing I know, I see Yasiel Tweek pointing at the first base, and like he's gonna try to throw me out at first. So, uh, so I had to hustle, hustle down to first base before he threw me out from right field. That would have been a little embarrassing, but uh, no, you're definitely. Excited in that moment, but you also you also know that it's a tight ball game, and uh, you're trying to get a rally going for your team, so you got to stay focused, and, uh, and uh, just remember that you're, you're still playing the game, and still got to be in the
1: moment. Right, now I guess, uh, you know, they said after the game that it was actually the fastest um, pitched game uh, by a giant pitcher all season, um, you know, and I guess I'm sure your former head coach at Creighton Head Service had a, quite a smile about that, because he's a guy that likes to get, you know, those games done in about two hours, if he possibly we can I guess what uh what is that something that you did pick up from college and take with you into the pros about pitching with pace and you know making sure um, hitters don't get a chance to kind of get set and get comfortable up there
3: yeah I think that that uh, coach service really instilled in me and uh, all of us at Creighton. Um, just that taste pace and the tempo of the game. Um, if you're able to If you're able to work quick as a pitcher, you're only, you're keeping your defense in it. You're also you know putting the hitters on their heels a little bit, and uh, you're able to dictate the pace of, of how it's going to go. So. Uh, you know, if you're able to, to focus in mentally in a shorter period of time and recover quicker, then um, it just puts, it puts the game in a better
1: rhythm. And so uh, I definitely attest a lot of that to coach service. Now, I want to jump back to the postseason here in a second, but I want to get kind of your thoughts big picture on um, maybe a state-of-the-game question. Um, being a pitcher – Um, I think HBO Sports had a special recently where they kind of had a minor league game go through um, a situation where balls and strikes were kind of called by, um, you know, upstairs in a K-zone type of situation, and it was relayed to the umpire at home plate. I think there was some kind of, you know, hesitation going in, but it seemed like after the game, most of the players uh, thought it was a good thing. Where where do you kind of stand on um, balls and strikes maybe not being left up to um, human error and so those sort of things? I
3: don't know. I think umpires are a big part of the game. Um, you know, baseball is. There's so many uh, human elements to the game, and you're going to see stuff that you've never seen every day. So, uh, I kind of like the human element to it. Um, my my initial reaction is you're you're almost uh, taking away the art of catching. Um, and you know, a guy like Buster Posey behind the plate, who's able to buy you so many strikes with the way he receives the ball, you're you're going to lose some of that aspect if if you've got an automated strike zone. And and uh, I think I think that's also part of the game is adapting to that strike zone, you know, as a pitcher, Uh, because it's not always going to be the same, it's going to vary from game to game, so um, a little bit, there's a little bit of hesitation there, but uh, whatever they see, fits best, you know, I'd have
1: to see how it all plays out. Mm -hmm. Now back to Buster, and obviously you got to see um, him and your ace, Madison Bumgarner, at kind of their... Best once again last night in a big, big game for you guys. What uh, what was it like watching Madison and Buster kind of work their way through, you know, uh, you know, a scoreless game through nine innings until Connor came up with that big hit?
3: Yeah, those two guys. Their, their chemistry is pretty unbelievable. Just, uh, they get into tight situations and neither of them panic. Uh, they're just, they just like, okay, how are we gonna get through this? What do we have to do to to get to get a zero on the board and get our team back in the dugout? And yeah, Bum you know, bon is just unbelievable out there. The way he's able to go out in those high pressure situations and just make pitches and just uh, basically just out battles every hitter. And uh, it's pretty neat. To be able to see him go about his business as well as Buster behind the plate. And those two have been through a lot together, so it's really, really awesome to see them work.
1: So where were you when uh, Connor got a hold of that one and how did you react when, I mean obviously from watching on television it looked like they didn't even need to show the outfield the minute he touched it, it looked like it was gone, but I guess what was your reaction to kind of seeing that play out and knowing what it meant?
3: Yeah, I was, I was in a dugout at the time, so I uh, as soon as they hit it, it, all of us were right on the top rail of the dugout with our, our hands raised and we were yelling and screaming. I think we all lost our voice uh, in that 30-second span right there. We were screaming. We were all so pumped up. Uh, Connor's such a great guy. Uh, you know, he grew up in the Omaha area, actually, so uh, kind of neat uh, to have a, have a kid like that. i sure
1: you're probably still covered in champagne a little bit from that uh, clubhouse celebration, yeah? Oh
3: yeah, oh yeah, those are fun. That's, that's what we live for as uh, baseball players these days. Um, just to be able to celebrate with your teammates and have a big postseason victory like that. that, that's a blast.
1: Now they say it actually does burn like no other when you get it in your eyes. So were you savvy enough to go goggles first or did you learn that lesson the hard way?
3: a few of them in the minor leagues, um, where we've gotten to some championship series in the minor leagues, and uh, we went no goggles then, and, and it, it burned so good, that's for sure. Uh, it's one of those feelings where the initial the initial shock of it is is uh, a lot of pain. But then once you're able to get your eyes back open, it's a lot of joy too. So uh, I had the goggles on last night, but uh, they weren't they weren't stopping a lot of the a lot of the flow of the
1: champagne. <laughs> Ty, I appreciate the time you. Uh, I know you're busy. You guys have been traveling all over the place. Um, you're at Wrigley now, or in Chicago now, getting ready for a big series with the Cubs. So here's to many more um, champagne celebrations this year. And thanks for taking the time with us. All right, thank
0: you. Appreciate all right, Matt. That was an outstanding opportunity to, cha- uh, to take a have a conversation with Ty, and I'm 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 sure great things kind uh, of await him in his professional baseball career. I hope they don't await him this week though, because I'm a diehard Cubs fan, and uh, all I could think about was I hope they hit a game winning home run off you, Ty, because you seem like a good enough guy to have that just roll off your shoulder, and the Cubs will make the World Series and win. But I digress. I mean, he, he,
1: but you do know as a Cubs fan that he's going to actually hit the game-winning home run. Office. Oh yeah, right. Araldis Chapman in Wrigley, <laughs> for and for
0: of course, uh, or at least get like a really uh, crucial sacrifice bunt that Ed taught him how to do, or something. Like <laughs> it'll just it'll come in super handy, and and then everybody will regale Ed as a bunting uh, aficionado instructor. So anyway, I'll stop talking. This has been. Um, the episode of rambling but I hope all Creighton fans have enjoyed it because we do this out of the well, I do this out of the love of the Blue Jays Matt does it because he is as uh, tuned in to what's going on with Creighton Athletics as anybody right now so Matt um, really appreciate all of your hard work and what you're able to bring to White and Blue Review every single day and and what you're able to bring to Jays fans every day uh, in your coverage and if you don't follow Matt on Twitter first of all that's uh, that's probably incorrect because you probably all do, but if you don't, you need to follow Matt, especially as basketball uh, kicks into high gear here in the next couple of weeks. Matt's a tremendous follow on that platform because he is uh, he's bringing great coverage of Creighton sports um, through that medium and others. I know Matt will be at some events this week. We're gonna do our weekly what's on tap session here before we, we go. It'll be a quick one. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of jump through the hoops. Men's soccer on the road at Tulsa. That's Tuesday night, 7 o'clock. Friday, we've got uh, women's volleyball at home. They're at home for two matches this weekend, Friday night against St. John's, 7 o'clock at Sokol. And then Sunday afternoon at noon, it's the pink out game against Seton Hall. Women's volleyball with two home matches this weekend. And then sandwiched in between there, both soccer programs in action on Saturday. Women's soccer out at Providence at noon Central Time. And then the men's soccer team hosts Marquette, 7 o'clock, Morrison Stadium. That matches on the Big East Digital Network for those of you that can't be there. But looking like it will be a great Saturday night to be down at Morrison um, as the weather starts to get a little bit more like fall and head toward, um, you know, what Creighton soccer fans always love, which is that run-up to the NCAA tournament, seeing the Blue Jays participate. So that's what's on tap for Creighton Athletics this week. In addition to that, I know Matt, you'll be down at uh, some basketball practices. We've got uh, Big East men's basketball, women's basketball media day. Uh, We've got local media day for men's and women's basketball on Wednesday. Day before that is the Big East day. So there'll be a ton of stuff about hoops in and around uh, White and Blue Review and all of our social networks this week as well. So Again, only a couple short weeks until that exhibition games for both teams. Uh, Matt, really want to thank you for being on the show. Creighton fans listening, really want to thank you for tuning in. Again, if you have any questions, requests, have ideas for people that you want Matt to interview or things you want us to just kind of banter about on here, just let us know. Shoot us up on whiteandbluereview.com or Twitter, Facebook, any place like that. But. Until you do, and until next week, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. I'm Brian Ott for Matt Morenas and all of us at White & Blue Review, we want to thank you for tuning in, and go Jays.